Oh, hi, listener. Welcome to podcast. So happy you could make it. It's going to be very fun. <laughs> What a story, Ben. <laughs> Branson. All right, guys. <laughs> We did well, it. Welcome to Ben and Brand See a Movie. This is a very special week for April Fool's Day. We had to just think, what did we want to talk about? What did we want to do? So what better way to introduce the month of April and uh, correspond with April Fool's Day than talk about Tommy Wiseau's The Room and Double Feature, actually. We are also talking about James Franco's The Disaster Artist, which is about the making of the worst movie ever made, as it's called. So we are talking both movies. Man, I this is this is a fun week. I, I've been looking forward to this ever since we conceptualized the idea of doing a double feature uh, about The Room on April Fool's Day. And Branson, why don't I'm going to let you introduce our surprise that we'll be having later on the episode yes uh this is like the highlight i think of the month at least uh i think for ben and i uh oh, yeah. we have a chance uh an opportunity to interview the man behind chris r uh the the thug that uh puts a gun to denny's head in the movie Uh, his he's a wonderful dude named Dan Janjigian, uh, and we get to talk to him, and yeah, it, it's a it's a real treat. Yeah, we we're really thankful that uh, when we reached out to Dan on online, he reached back to us, uh, was totally on board for what we pitched him, and we're excited to sit down and get to talk to him for about half an hour. Uh, but before we get into that, Branson, let's just kind of start breaking down this movie. We're going to actually go a little bit shorter, not hit as many beats by beats as we do, because if you're listening to this podcast about The Room specifically, you already know what The Room is, and you've probably seen it. And mm -hmm. love it's, it just it's as been much. talked to death. Yeah, and you love it just as much as Branson and I do so we're gonna hit on some things ideas but we're not gonna go as in depth because we want to make sure dan gets the time that we believe he deserves mm -hmm. so uh branson i'm just gonna throw it to you because i know you have a absolute undying love for this movie the room oh my goodness i this movie the more i learn about it the more questions i have um which is you know one of the reasons that it was you know such a blessing and a privilege to um have an opportunity to interview someone who was actually there On during set. this whole thing yeah and um man yeah this movie is an enigma directed written produced and starred in by an enigma um i oh, i could this is one of those rare things i think that unprovoked in like a speech and debate class if a teacher called on me and asked me give us a 15-minute presentation with no preparation, go. I could probably give an hour presentation on this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and, oh, man, Ed, I'll, I'll just go into my hill to die on for this. Yeah, go for it. Um, as far as the room is concerned, uh, it, I mean, you all know, it's the greatest bad movie that's ever been made. Uh, people call it the Citizen Kane of bad movies. And yeah, or the Citizen Kane of so bad it's good movies. And I mean, I could, there's no way that you could come up with a more apt description. Um, it is a roller coaster that will have you rolling. If you are um, someone who enjoys to have a drink, uh, this movie will get you totally blasted. And... <laughs> The more the more you learn about this movie, the crazier and funnier and more perplexing it gets. And that's that's really the magic of Tommy Wiseau's uh, opus. Yes. And I'll just do my hill to die on real quick because uh, I think it's just better to start off with it. To me, the room represents that if you want something in life you don't wait around for someone to hand you that opportunity sometimes you just have to do it yourself 
And despite all the craziness that is the filming of the room, everything that happened on set, who Tommy is as an individual, he did something that not a lot of people get to say. He made a movie, which is one in itself already very hard. He made a movie and then made it one of the most popular movies of all time. The Room, I don't know if I could tell you what movies came out in the early 2000s that I remember, but I know The Room and I know a lot of people love The Room and are obsessed with that movie. So the fact mm -hmm. that he was able to take that and make something himself, that is something that we all want to do. Branson, you and I make this podcast because we want to do this. Mm -hmm. I want to be shown in theaters for close to 20 years and have people throw spoons at the waveforms of us talking yeah. or whatever. <laughs> so I'll just let's just get into the room and the disaster artists. And we're going to kind of talk about them combined because they are very much one in the same to some mm -hmm. degree that the disaster artist being, again, the making of the room. But I'll just kind of start off with the disaster artist. And what the movie does so well is besides an amazing James Franco performance where he just transforms into Tommy Wiseau from the accent to the look, the makeup's all phenomenal. But he also gives Tommy this edge to him where you can see the meanness of him on set, some of the abuse that he has on set. But you also see this sweet, not sweet necessarily, but you see this, you pity him at times because... You see him working so hard and no one is giving him the break. No one believes in him. And he's just, mm -hmm. all he wants to do is he says is uh, tell his story. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, watching, um, viewing the room and viewing the disaster artist, you know, in the room, you see the character of Johnny or Tommy uh, or Tommy playing Johnny. Um, and he's just, you know, you don't really understand him. <laughs> like, you don't understand what he says. Uh, you don't really understand his motivation. But then as you're listening to, um, we, we've, I've been listening to the audiobook of Disaster Artist, and Ben, I think you've been reading it. Yes. Um, and then, you know, watching the movie, we get to see, like, this, you know, the veil is lifted, and we get to see you know, the kind of person that Tommy is, and it's a little dramatized mm -hmm. or dramatized, but, you know, it's such a good, you know, window into Tommy's mind. Like, you see, it's obvious that that there's something, that there's something in, in Tommy Wiseau's head. Um, and, you know, the room, the room is kind of his way of telling his story from his perspective, like how he sees the world, that's how the viewer sees the room, you know? Yes, because in the story, or sorry, in the movie, he is the all-American hero who everybody basically betrays. The movie, mm -hmm. if you really want to just summarize it uh, at its core, is a movie about... It is a movie about betrayal... And uh, a person just trying to be a good person. That's mm -hmm. it. And, but he just keeps getting kicked by the world and the people that he thinks are friends. And mm -hmm. it's interesting listening to Tommy's story and then seeing that maybe that's how he perceives the world. Definitely at that time where he's trying to become an actor and everyone sees him as kind of the villain. They talk yeah. about it when he in The Disaster Artist, there's this scene where he goes to an acting class uh, where the coach, the acting coach is played by Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul. And mm -hmm. Bob in the movie says, you know, you'd make a great villain. You have that Frankenstein uh, Dracula look to you. And Tommy says, I'm no I'm villain. I'm not villain. I'm hero. And that's, and that's kind of this whole theme that's in the room. He sees himself as a hero that everyone else doesn't understand and doesn't appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the movie, <laughs> just to really balance this out, um, the movie has little to no right being as thoroughly enjoyable as it is, it, especially if you're into the so bad it's good yeah. sort of valley, like the uncanny valley of so bad it's good. Um, because the movie is completely and totally inept. Yes, it is <laughs> amateurish at its yes. core. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one of my favorite scenes um, is actually the one, and I'm not just saying this to suck up to Dan, uh, but one <laughs> of my favorite scenes is the scene with Chris R. Yes, it's my and favorite if you've, scene as well. Yes, and if you've seen the movie, you know, you know the scene, but if you haven't, um, a quick synopsis is um, the man-child character, Denny, uh, who, who we don't is, know his age. He's somewhere between the age of 16, 16 and 26. 26. In the real life, <laughs> the actor who played Denny, I believe, was 26. Yeah, but Tommy kind of says, Haldeman play him like a 16, like you are 16. <laughs> which is a which great is... scene in The Disaster Artist where Josh, Josh Hutchinson plays him, which is perfect casting to mm-hmm. get Josh Hutchinson to be this like, like child, 26. 26-year-old child-looking guy. Perfect <laughs> casting. And in so, The Disaster yeah. Artist, the scene he's talking about, Zac Efron plays Dan. But I'll mm-hmm. just jump it back to you, Branson. Yeah, and in this scene, you know, I it's if you were to you know take a take a sip of your drink every time something weird happened uh, in camera, uh, you'd be on the floor and needing medical attention probably mm-hmm. because the scene opens with Denny dribbling a basketball on the roof, yes. and then the camera seems to kind of phase through the wall. Yes, one of the, the... most interesting shots, <laughs> one worthy of Scorsese. Uh, yeah, but, fantastic. But it, it is a cool shot had it not been for the camera just completely breaking the laws of physics and going through this wall that we're, that as the audience we are to believe is there. And Chris R uh, walks on to the, the roof, intimidates Denny, put a gun, puts a gun to his head, and Dan, as... Chris R is legitimately terrifying. Like it's scared. Dan Apparently, it's scared actor Philip in the disaster artist. Oh, sorry, yes, by in far. the room. Yes, by far. And um, and then as Denny's being threatened, inexplicably, all the characters show up. So uh, Johnny, Mark, uh, who is named after Tommy Wiseau's favorite actor, Matt Damon. Who he, <laughs> who he thought his name was from the talented Mark Mr. Damon. Ripley, as he calls it, the actor from the talented Mr. Ripley. Yes, um, <laughs> and then Lisa, um, whom Johnny is her future husband, and uh, Lisa's mom, who has cancer, but apparently that's not a big deal because it's never brought up. Which um, is my favorite thing that the disaster artist talks about, yeah. where the actress asks. Tommy, why is this in the script since it never comes back? And Tommy just responds, it's twist. It is twist. You know, <laughs> twist. Because, you know, you just give a character cancer in movies and call yeah. it a twist. I mean, yeah. it's kind of genius because it does keep the audience surprised and expecting. Yeah. It does do that because you never know what's going to happen to these characters. So in yeah. some level, it is a good twist. In the it, sense that he accomplished, no <laughs> yeah, he accomplished what he wanted to do and keep the audience guessing. Yes, and in, in entirely the wrong way. Yes. Um, yeah, we'll just do a couple more shotgun points uh, before we get into our interview with Dan. Yeah, um, I'll jump in on the disaster yes. artist because I feel like we haven't talked about this. I think there's mm-hmm. one line in the movie that summarizes what the disaster artist is, and it's the very end when Tommy, played by James Franco, introduces the room at its first Hollywood showing, and he says, this is my movie, and this is my this life. This is my life. And it is such my an... Life. Encom- it encompasses it so well because this is everything he wanted to do. This was his mm-hmm. dream. And it is this story. That moment is all those the craziness coming together. Mm-hmm. And, and in that moment, so he perfect. is the hero at last. Yes, he is that hero that he's so been craving to be. And it's a very sweet moment juxtaposed to probably one of the more heartbreaking scenes in the movie where the audience is watching the room for the first time they all think it's a drama and then like the wave hits them when they realize what this movie is and the quality (laughs) of it and you see tommy just start to like break down like you just see tears he runs out of the theater he's upset and it's a really heartfelt moment because Mm -hmm. Everyone can experience, knows that feeling of working so hard on something that you believe in so much and then come have it come to fruition and no one respects or likes it. It's a very real moment. And I think Franco's best moment in that movie. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the um, nailing the free throw every time in practice, and then in the big game, it's just it, shooting an air ball. Yeah. You know, and and it is like one of those moments. You know, the entire movie in Disaster Artist, um, especially like we see Tommy behind the scenes and. Um, <laughs> Watching the Disaster Artist and listening to the book, I've learned so much about it. Uh, you know, Tommy Wiseau was always late. He spent six thousand dollars to install his own personal bathroom in the studio, mm-hmm. even though Sawyer and Burke had a perfect or Sawyer Sawyer and Burns, um, the studio that he used. Um, you know, it had a perfectly fine bathroom, but he had decided to install his own director's bathroom. Um, and he's just being, pardon my French, an ass to everyone yeah. on the set. Um, you know, learning all that and then still seeing those scenes where you have the pity for him, it makes, it sort of flushes out the, um, just the the inherent weirdness mm-hmm. of Tommy Wiseau. Not just of Johnny, but of Tommy Wiseau, the creator you know, um, well, cause in that, that was so scene, interesting. It humanizes him. It yes. takes this almost alien like person in Tommy <laughs> and gives him humanity, which is something really hard to do when you have a character like Tommy. And that scene that you're talking about is another just master masterfully handled scene from Seth Rogen's screenplay where it's Tommy Wiseau, again, played by James Franco and Juliet Daniel, who is the actress that plays Lisa, they're preparing their scene, uh, their love scene. Mm-hmm. And you see Tommy just harassing her and berating her. And it's... Get I makeup it, in here, cover her mole. Yeah, gross. and I think it's a good scene that shows, one, how women are treated in a workplace just in general, but one specifically in Hollywood, how they can be exploited. And one that's really good to have in there because it also shows some of the darkness of Tommy but also mm-hmm. just like the the actual struggle of the set of the room how t- tumultuous it was I tumultuous. <laughs> I'm having trouble pronouncing words You're today. Good, it's gonna be man. like that but I think it's just another it's another of those moments that's really good and bringing up Seth Rogen he is the comedic relief in the movie oh, he plays he's us very, he's, he's the very audience. funny He's very he's the, funny in this movie. He's the audience to the movie because he's reacting to it the same time we are. So when something Tommy does that's so eccentric, Seth Rogen has the same thing where he's just like, uh, why are we shooting inside and with an alleyway set when we could just shoot in the alleyway? Actual and, alleyway. <laughs> and Branson, can you, can you say um, Tommy's quote in his uh, line or in his act? This is big movie, big Hollywood movie. This isn't some Mickey Mouse bullcrap. Yeah, just, and it's so good. I love The Disaster <laughs> Artist. And I think it also does a great job at, the core of The Disaster Artist is friendship. It is a story about Greg and Tommy. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even brought up Greg yet, played by uh, Dave Franco. Dave Franco. Dave Franco. James Franco's younger brother and what works so well about this is because I heard this uh, this idea from James Franco where he says the reason I cast Dave was because you have to have these close friendships and Dave has kind of grown up the same way sorry Dave has grown up the same way Greg has grown up in the sense that he's always looked up to James because you know he's the older guy he's the older brother but he's also seen the weirdness and eccentricities and the craziness growing up so it kind of works perfectly that when he has this such clear vision in his head and you have Dave Franco kind of just sitting back and like taking that all in it works pretty well and Mm -hmm. I think Dave Franco also gives wonderful performance every actor in this movie is fun there's a lot of just small little cameos oh yes i i Uh, I wrote a a note about all the ones that i could uh count i the opening of the movie yes the brian cranston was uh cameo was great and he played himself himself, yes yeah and from malcolm in the middle um all the uh actors at the beginning of the movie just talking about how amazing it is uh james cameron talked about the room and um adam scott Kristen bell uh Kristen bells is a really interesting one because Mm -hmm. i actually learned about this the first reference of the room and i guess mainstream 
like Hollywood was actually on her show Veronica Mars. They referenced really? the room because they all like go to see it or something like that. So oh, that's, that's why Christian Bell's in the movie. Oh, that's so cool. Um, but yeah, in the actual story part, um, you know, you have Hannibal Burris, uh, yes. Jason Manzukis, um, you know, Zach Efron, Seth Rogen, Josh Hutcherson, you know, all these, all these great characters. Alison who... Brie as the yes, uh, girlfriend Brie. who's fantastic. I love mm-hmm. Alison Brie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it was, it's the, the disaster artist you know, knowing the room so well, like back and forth, it was neat to see it from a different perspective. Um, and I couldn't help but smile at the yeah. end of the disaster artist. Um, the other thing that I love about the, uh, the end of the disaster artist is a, how I learned that Tommy paid to keep the movie in theaters for two weeks so that it could qualify, qualify for an for Academy an Award. Program. Yes, I learned that too for the movie, which is amazing. He has to have it in theater for two weeks to qualify. It's so classic. Um, and that it amazing. only grossed $1,800 on opening weekend, which is just like, that's that's like planting a cornfield and only getting a, a ear of corn yeah. back, which is just like, you can't, you can't write that that just is genius um but then the scene match where they play the actual scene from the room uh and the scene that they recreated in the disaster artist it is shot for shot beat for beat franco directs the heck out of this movie oh it's it's so good there were times where i was like wait which one's the which one's the actual room and which one's the actual one um it's so good franco nails it and the reason this move the reason the disaster artist works so well is because while they're making fun poking fun at the room and tommy and the whole personalities involved it is still an appreciation for what tommy did and they never feel like they're punching down they do it in a classy and respectful way which you can just tell james franco seth rogan all these people who were involved everyone was in on it because they had a love for this and wanted to tell Tommy's story. Yeah, and, it was important to them. And that yeah. actually, that leads really well into my hill to die on for the disaster artist. Okay, go for it. Um, you know, the, the dramatization of real, event, real events aside, for instance, they say in the movie that the, uh, I did not hit her, it's not true. That scene took 68 yes. takes, it only took 32, uh, which is still a lot. Um, but, you know, the dramatization of those events aside this movie the disaster artist is a love letter to the fans of the room and respects the source while still being able to lampoon it in a fun way uh but also in a real way yeah and speaking of real i think that actually works as a perfect transition to get to our guests and we don't want to wait anymore so without further ado here's dan chris r from the room and we hope you enjoy our wonderful guest, Dan Janjigian. Take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special episode of Ben and Bren See a Movie. We are very excited to have on our guest, Dan Jigian. I, I think I messed it up there. I think I went too fast. Uh, <laughs> you took the first name and you made it part of the last name. That was yes. awesome. What happened there was I was kind of combining it the same way Tommy does in the movie, where it's just Chris R. And I said it too fast. So it just blurred those two words together. Dan Jiggy. And I like that. I'm going to go by yeah. that from now on. <laughs> but sir, we are honored to have you on this show as our first official guest and we're talking, uh, this episode's going to debut on April 1st, which is April's Fool's Day, which just feels like a perfect fitting for th- this movie, for this the cultural phenomenon that is The Room. And so, sir, welcome to the show. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you here. so much. Great to be here, guy. And by the way, by calling me sir, you're definitely dating the fact that this movie is 20 years old at this point. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> just just suck the youth right out of me in the first two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I just to offset that you look fantastic thank you I'm feeling great thanks Manson. you guys are awesome <laughs> so um to start us off Dan um you've had quite a few uh unique career moves um as 
a bobsledder for the Armenian bobsled team in the 2002 Winter Olympics uh, to a political candidate in 2020. Uh, what drew you into acting circa The Room being made? It was, uh, you know, it was something I always wanted to do. I've always had a love for acting since I was little and, you know, just wanted to kind of get involved. And then after the Olympics in 02, and I actually bobsledded for 10 years, uh, well, nine years from uh, 1998, right after the Nagano Games through 2007. So right in the middle of that, um, after the uh, Olympics in 02 in Salt Lake City, I made the move up to uh, Southern Cal or down to Southern California with uh, one of my really close friends, a uh, guy by the name of Dan. And so Danny and I were living together in Santa Monica and uh, he told me about this film he was in. I I'd probably only been out in LA for, I don't know, a month. And he said, Hey, there's this film I'm in and they're looking for kind of a thug. And you know, you just did the Olympics. So you're probably a good fit for, you know, <laughs> plus your Armenian heritage probably didn't hurt. So, you know, come by and check it out. And so he gave me some really, you know, poor uh, ideas of how to go in and impress Tommy Wiseau. So I went out there and, and apparently impressed him enough to get in this. But uh, my old roommate was the original Mark before mm -hmm. Greg Cicero took over months, months later. Yeah, we I've been, uh, like I said, I've been reading or listening to The Disaster Artist. I've been listening to it all day. And uh, <laughs> it was mentioned that Tommy Wiseau didn't quite get your roommate's name and always called him Don. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't, you know what, actually, as I, as I just gave his entire name out, you may need to bleep it, because I'm thinking maybe, maybe Danny had asked Greg not to use his name in the book to stay separate. I don't know. Oh. Um, so, yeah, well, you may want to bleep him out of there, but yeah. We can case, edit that out. We'll use, we'll use our movie magic. To we'll, yeah, we'll protect the innocent. <laughs> you guys are getting the real story. See, this is, this is all like, like first level stuff here. No, no surface stuff. This is deep. Yeah, we love it. So if I'm correct, Dan, this was your first role as an actor, not even like commercials or anything. This was the first gig you booked, correct? Yeah. Yeah. This was, uh, we ended up doing a bunch of stuff. I mean, random reality TV shows. We did like two reality sh TV shows after that. And excuse me, um, uh, did some extra work on Seabiscuit and The Longest Yard and a few other things. But this was like the first thing that was like, hey, here's a speaking role in like a, uh -huh. a feature film credited <laughs> what we thought could be a feature film <laughs> little and, did we know and so that's a pretty crazy thing because you're on a film that has i believe around a six million dollar budget and this is the first film set you've been on is that intimidating to walk on uh that set for the first day especially not knowing ex what this movie is well you know that old phrase ignorance is bliss yeah <laughs> it was bliss like i i walked on the set and I, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny. So many of the things that we've learned over the years were ridiculous things that Tommy was doing. Mm -hmm. At the time when I was up there, I'm like, oh, this is totally normal, you know, to have three film crews come and go and to have, you know, an HD camera and a film camera. And, uh, you know, I, the, the things that I think most people took for granted that understood the industry and thought, you know, they thought it was ridiculous. My mm -hmm. first few days on the set, I was like, oh, this is, this is just, I guess, how it works. Yeah. And with that, when you start going into doing other roles and your only experiences has been on a Tommy Wiseau set, <laughs> is there a learning curve? With that? I guess it only gets better from there, right? I mean, other, other sets, you could mess up a ton and, and be like, wow, this is so much better comparatively, right? So other, other sets, you don't have to look at two different cameras filming in two different uh, formats. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I, and you know, I joke, I mean, I, I can, I can, I can poke fun at, at the whole situation, but, let me make it clear from the very beginning. It was a, uh, it's, it's been a, a really neat thing to be a part of. And, and uh, you know, Tommy was crazy, but it was, uh, you know, it, at times it was very frustrating, but the whole experience overall has been well worth it. And it was a lot of fun. You just mentioned awesome. Tommy and that uh, brings an interesting antidote that comes from Greg's book where he mentions the reason Tommy had trouble casting the actor to play Chris R is because Tommy would jump out and attack the actors uh, when they would first come on set. I think it was specifically, uh, yeah, he would just jump at them when they come through the door. So do you remember your first interaction meeting Tommy? Yeah, it was nothing like that. I mean, mine, you know, it's so funny cause I love the, you know, I love the, the movie and I love how they did the interviews. And um, from talking to the cast, that was very accurate. But my interview uh, was a lot different. I actually showed up 
uh, on set, he was sitting at on his little director's chair um, out on the lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, uh, oh man, what was it? Sawyer, Brooks, I can't remember the name of the place, but. Sawyer, um, Bur- I think that's correct. Yeah, so we were out there and, and uh, I just walked out while he was in the parking lot and Danny introduced me. And uh, I can't remember at this point exactly how the interview went, but I, I tend to remember he just kind of asked me, you know, what kind of acting I had studied. And again, Danny had given me some background because I didn't know the difference between different acting styles, uh, but I learned. And so, you know, I said, well, I'm not a big fan of Meisner. I'm a Stanislavski guy. And, you know, Tommy and his best accent was like, oh, good. You know, he agreed with me. He loved it. And um, yeah, so that's kind of, uh, I guess he was impressed enough to, to let me kind of go through with it. He liked my look. So we went from there. <laughs> I, oh, I had to fight the urge so hard to do a Tommy impression there. That'll please, probably please come do. out. Yeah, I was going to say, please do it. Oh, Dan, you, oh, I can't do it under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used oh, to be able to do, do a decent Tommy. I can't do it at all anymore. Like I just, it, it's horrible. It's such I need an to, interesting accent. Like, ju- I'm fed just, up with this world. There it is. There it is, Chris. That's not bad. <laughs> is, do you do you have any thoughts on uh, Danny's accent? Sorry, not Danny. Sorry, Tommy's accent. Do, do you have any the debates? I guess that go on with the accent. I will tell you that Danny's accent. Danny does one of the best Tommies I have ever heard, and I oh, wish right. he was involved with the movie, with the disaster artist, with whatever, because. I'm telling you, that guy would have been, I mean, Greg was awesome as Mark, but mm. he is absolutely hysterical and his accent's awesome. But yeah, Tommy's accent is just, it's just one of those things where while we were on set, you got so bored yeah. that we would just do his accent. He'd always show up late and he always, you know, there was always something over the top with him. So his accent became the centerpiece for everything we did. That's amazing. Um, so let's, let's, uh, dial in and talk more about your role as Chris are, um, I think Ben and I agree. And a lot of, uh, the cult of the room fans agree that the, your Chris R performance is one of the best, if not the best performance in the room. Yes. Um, and so getting into character as Chris R, where, where was your mind at? How did you approach uh, becoming Chris R. Okay, this is really embarrassing to say, but the Zac Efron portrayal is probably right on. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I, I love I, it. I'm, I'm so embarrassed to say it because when you watch it, it's just so ridiculous, but it's so accurate because I remember, I you know, I again, I hadn't acted before and I knew I needed to get in the character and I needed uh. to kind of get there. And so I would literally... I would literally do that. I'd kind of just pump myself up beforehand. I would think about things that just got me so mad. You know, I used to, I mean, I've done a lot of sports in my life and, and wrestling was one of those sports. And I remember if somebody grabbed me a certain way or, you know, when I was wrestling, I'd, I'd, that would be my trigger, right? Yeah. And I kind of had the same thing there where I just, kind of, I triggered myself to kind of just get really mad. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny to think back on and it's embarrassing, but that was, uh, that, there was a lot of truth to that. Does that yeah. just come from like an area of just not being professionally trained, I guess, as an actor? So all you've seen of acting at that point is kind of interpretations in movies or TVs or interviews with like Jack Nicholson, Daniel Day-Lewis, where they talk method acting. And you're just like, right. so that seems like that's the thing to do. Is that what it's yeah. like, per se? Yeah, I mean, you, you watch like Jim Carrey talking about being Andy Kaufman and getting in the role and believing it and being in, you know, being in the uh, moment before the scene even starts, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think, it, I mean, I think that's as simple a way as you could put it, but that's probably uh, right on accurate. That's, <laughs> that's so awesome. And I mean, it, it paid great dividends. Like you even had like the little cheek tucks where you like tuck your tongue into your cheek and you're looking off to, in the <laughs> distance, like, I can't believe this guy. And in, and it really does. I, I remembered reading the line that you would walk off to the side of the set and mutter and curse to yourself. And I was like, I, wow <laughs> that's like high level acting right there <laughs> i'm glad you think so that's uh you could see how far my acting career has gone since then so <laughs> i don't know so, if it had the same traction i had hoped it would have <laughs> so um as uh as zach was playing you um what was your reaction to discovering his casting and uh did he reach out to you at all during the whole process you know, it's funny because I went to Cal Poly. I'm actually wearing my Cal Poly hat right now, right? Yes, I was going to uh, say, that's amazing. 
Yeah. So he went to, well, I don't, actually, I don't know if he went to Cal Poly, but he grew up in San Luis Obispo, which is, oh, you know, where Cal yeah. Poly is, obviously. So, you know, I felt like, hey, I've got this great connection. And it's so funny because I've met James and Dave and, you know, Seth Rogen several times. And I've, I've, I've seen them in L.A. I've seen them in Austin at the you know South by Southwest Music Festival mm-hmm. and in all these different events we've gone to and, and, and the opportunities that we've had to, like, meet Allison Brie and all these great people. I have literally still to this date never met him. He never called me to ask me any information. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that I happen <laughs> to run into the guy. Oh. And I would just love to be like, hey, man, you and, I, you and I have not officially met, but we've kind of met, you know? I just, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking forward to that first interaction with him because I know it'll happen at some point. Hey, we're both Chris R. <laughs> That's got to be a pretty surreal experience to see uh, an actor like Efron play you on screen in an Oscar nominated film was what was your reaction to one, not only just hearing the news, but also just like taking that in, was it kind of like just a shell shock? Yeah. I'm going to tell you the coolest thing about it. I had a 15 year old daughter at the time. She's Uh now, what is she? She's going to be 19 in a couple of months. Right. Uh That's the coolest thing because your kids don't care what you've ever done. Yeah. They don't care what your background is. They could care less about whether you're in the Olympics or whether you did this or that. They don't care, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when they find out that Zach Efron played you and you're getting a chance to introduce them to, uh, to Zach Efron, or excuse me, to like Dave Franco or somebody else, like all that stuff is, uh, is, very, uh, is very surreal. And yeah, having a 15-year-old daughter, like I said, that, that's like the greatest pat on the back you'll ever get. That's some oh, mad sure. dad cred right there. Yeah, that's as cool as it gets. Awesome, man. Um, so uh, since filming The Room, you've moved away from acting. Um, and now uh, if your Wikipedia page is to be believed, you've been working as a sales consultant, um, which is um, you graduated with a degree in sales, correct? something to that effect. Business and marketing. Correct? Yeah, business, business and marketing, marketing from, yeah. from Cal Poly. Um, I almost knocked my notebook down. Um, How has your time uh, as Chris R affected daily life? Like, do people ever recognize you uh, in work or in just passing? Yeah, it's really random. Like it comes up at the most random times. I had a, uh, one of my best friends, his girlfriend out of nowhere, and I've known her for over a year. um, She out of nowhere started texting me the other day going, you're, you're Chris R from the room. Like Zach Efron played you in the, like, that's who you are. And she's like, I was looking up on IMDb and it said Zach Efron played Dan Janjigan, not Zach Efron played Chris R. And she was just having this total meltdown. And it was the funniest thing because those situations come up. Like I was in Europe with, uh, with my wife and we were walking around and uh, well, my ex-wife at this point, but we were walking around and, and uh, you know, got stopped, I think twice while we were um, one time in Madrid and another time when we were in Italy, I think, um, which was just, I mean, super cool, but just random. So those kind of things pop up and I just, I, I still think it's surreal because I just don't get it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, it's such a, it, it's such a horrendous movie. I tell people all the time, you know, don't rent it. If you're going to go watch it, watch it in the theater with everybody, wait till the pandemic's over, go see it with a ton of people because if you watch it at home by yourself you will literally want to hang yourself <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's just so it's so boring you know but yeah it's it's i call it the gift that keeps on giving so it's uh it's it's kind of just been a neat thing to be a part of yeah <laughs> you and- mentioned you oh, mentioned uh just like the agonization of watching it i remember hearing a quote i think it was in the disaster artist book where someone described watching the room <laughs> as feeling like being stabbed in the head <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it but but you know what though it's so funny because i've i've been very fortunate like i've had a chance to do you know uh do screenings of it in seattle in chicago in um uh, new york several times obviously here in austin a bunch of times in houston and it's so funny because everywhere you go there's different things that people get excited about right and and you pick up new things that people you know uh do during the shows that you know, like, for example, in New York, I remember they had a full band in the audience. And so the band would play at different times, you know, during the love scene. And, you know, of course, when they're going over the Bay Bridge, you know, and 
I, I remember the first time I saw, you know, when uh, Tommy looks down at the bottom and waves the bottom corner of the screen and everybody runs down there. Yeah. And I yeah. love that. That I didn't see that for years. And that's like my favorite thing now, right? Like I will always <laughs> run down to the bottom corner of the screen. So it's just, hi, Tommy. You know, the, yeah, the different traditions so are good. like super, super cool. And they're always different per state. So it's been, oh. it's been uh, pretty neat to see what they do. And would you say that one's your favorite one? That is my favorite. Yeah, I, I love going down there when he waves. It's just, it's so stupid and it's so funny. Dan, I, cause you're one of the few actors who really gets to say that they've experienced what is probably the most crazy film set to maybe ever exist just with all the stories that have come from the disaster artist the book and the movie and the behind the scenes for the room. I just want to get your just feel on it uh, as a fly on the wall. What was it like coming to work day by day is it as crazy as people uh have heard or is it actually kind of just like a fairly mellow set that just had its moments of eccentricities due to the personality of tommy himself that's a really good question because i think I, I think you're right i think most people think of it like you show up on set and it's like at this peak constantly where everything is just nuts non-stop and that's not true mm -hmm. there was a huge amount of downtime it was a lot of the craziness was just based on the fact that there would be these moments that popped up all over the place. And we were there for so many hours. You know, I learned later that there's these things called, these things called dailies, right? So yeah. you know that when you show up today, you're going to be filming this scene. This is what's going to be covered. And a few of the things that were really odd was number one, he wouldn't give the full script to anybody. Right. So like yes. when I read, when I read Chris R's part, the obvious thing that you would think is, you know, cause films will, will obviously film out of order, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, here's this scene of me going and trying to get my money for these drugs. So there's gotta be a previous scene of me selling the drugs or doing something. And there's gonna be later scenes of me involved, in you know, but yeah. yeah. But because we hadn't read the whole script, I had no idea that that 90 second scene was gonna be it, right? Yes. And then, you know, there's other things that would pop up like there, uh, you know, obviously we went through three, three different film crews and the actors changed over several times too, right? The original yeah. Michelle changed, the original, you know, Greg changed. Um, you know, we had the AD and all these full film crews that changed. And each time there was a change that happened, there would be like this major meeting at Burns and Sawyer in the back room. And we'd all have this big meeting in there and people would be screaming and yelling. And it was like, and I'm thinking to myself, is this normal? Yeah. Right. Is this like a, is this how things go? But if, if I were to give you like a snapshot of a day, of a day, we would get there in the morning. Um, we'd probably sit around set and just practice and go over our lines for about three or four hours. Uh, Tommy would show up incredibly late, usually no earlier than two or three hours late. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Right. Wow. Uh, we, you know, again, you had no idea, like my scene, you got to remember my scene, just a short little scene. And he loved it. Tommy loved this scene. But the first time I filmed the scene, which had nothing to do with the rooftop, right? Just in the alleyway. I was on set for two weeks to film that scene. Two weeks. So every day we'd be shooting part of that scene. And then he'd shoot something, you know, with Juliet, you know, you know, for, for that scene, or they'd be doing a retake because somebody quit and they needed to have the new actor and the, you know, so this was like for two weeks straight. And so we'd go grab Subway. Tommy was great. He would get a Subway, you know, because we were there all day long. Um, <laughs> but all those little moments that you saw during the movie, you know, like I was there when the whole thing happened where he was just being a complete ass yeah. to Juliet in the middle of that sex scene, right? Yeah. And I remember I wasn't in the, I wasn't on set, but I was outside and we were sitting on those tables. And, um, you know, we immediately were like dealing with what had happened back there, you know, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and there was just, thing after thing that happened, but they may be separated by hours of just being bored and sitting around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a long, long answer for a short question. Sorry no, about that. No, that's that fantastic. Very answer. comprehensive. Dan, there's uh, so many interesting stories that you had just talked about uh, on set. One of the most interesting ones that has always fascinated me was Tommy's toilet on set. He insisted <laughs> on like making a bathroom on set, like a really nice bathroom, but he would use curtains to cover it, no doors or anything. And uh, some of the cast members would talk about the fact that they would joke that when he was on set, uh, they would use it. I think a few of them have confirmed it at this point. I just wanted to ask you, 
was this actually a thing and was this as prominent as uh the movie makes it out to be i would love to like give you a great story on this but i don't really have one like as far as the private bathroom and stuff i don't i don't really recall mm. it being a big thing i i do remember it i do remember uh him getting made fun of because burns and sawyer has his own bathroom <laughs> um so i remember Very that nice place. bathroom apparently yes it, it was quite nice for the amount of time we were there i i've used that bathroom a few times um but yeah as far <laughs> as you know people you know uh, going in there and utilizing it that I don't, I, I couldn't give you any, any, uh, confirmation on, I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> I need my own toilet. This is big movie set. This isn't <laughs> Disney. I crap by my own. Branson it's getting better and better, man. I love it. <laughs> I just needed to get into the zone. I needed to, uh, curse and mutter off screen. <laughs> um, uh, one of my favorite stories from the production of The Room actually involves you. Um, it was in Chapter 7, appropriately titled uh, Where's My Effing Money of the Disaster right. Artist. Um, and it's the the interaction where you grab Tommy by the arm as, he's, as you guys are kind of going through this arduous scene on the rooftop where they're trying to disarm Chris R. And um, how, how can you relay that story from your perspective yeah it's funny I, I don't get asked about that as often as you would think and, and that was a really that was I, I remember that very very vividly um first of all I had obviously left the set I was done I you know spent my time there and did my thing there and Greg called me to ask me to come back uh because Tommy <laughs> knew he couldn't call me right so Greg had to call me and I remember I was in a grocery store walking around the grocery store and he's trying to convince me to come back out. And I'm like, dude, I'm not coming back out. That was like a miserable experience. I, I you know, it's ruined me for like films and acting and everything. Like it was just, I don't want anything to do with it. And he convinced me to finally go back out there. And um, so I, I remember when I was out, it really took very little effort. You know, you talk about a method actor. It took no effort for me to get pissed and like get, get into, <laughs> you know, get into the role. <laughs> but I remember when they had me come in, I came in and it was, so Tommy and Greg come out of the, you know, out of the little shed and they come over and they, you know, grab me. And Tommy was like, not really grabbing me. It was like, he was just kind of like putting his hands on me, but it was so like delicate and stuff. And I remember I just freaking got pissed because it, we did a couple of takes. I told him, I said, look, grab me, just grab me. And he kept doing this and he just wasn't engaging. Like, you know, I, I, I really wanted to, feel like I was in the scene right mm -hmm. and so finally he didn't grab me and I whipped around and I grabbed him and I just picked him up and I put him <laughs> against the wall right I mean he's he's probably he's probably five inches or six inches shorter than me and like I said okay. I was post-olympic so I was a little bit bigger at the time but I picked <laughs> oh, him up man. I'm like I'm like and you're gonna have to bleep this but I'm like look grab me mother <laughs> right like what is this <laughs> so so hey, the good news is he grabbed me after that, so it was good. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that is insane. I I hope that I hope that footage exists somewhere because it's got to exist. He probably has never wanted to get released, but it, it exists somewhere. That is just one of I, the greatest stories. Yeah, I have to I have to give full props to the balls to you, Dan, because I've if um you know if Greg's account is. Uh, accurate to the best of his ability like no one had the the chutzpah to stand up to tommy the way that you did that was like as as i was listening to that i was like whoa this is crazy man it's like did sandy get that on did anyone get that on uh on the 35 or the digital it's it oh. is somewhere i i guarantee you it's somewhere i don't i don't know where but it, it is definitely somewhere oh that's amazing Dan, I want to wrap this interview up with just uh, two final questions. So we're going to go quick, but I think we'll have appropriate time for this answer. Uh, what is it like being a part of this movie and just seeing the joy it brings people? I mean, not a lot of people get to say that they've been a, a part of a movie that's so culturally phenomenal. It's such a cultural phenomenon and you have such a memorable part. What's that like? How does that feel to you? It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really an honor. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Like I, I feel very 
you know, I shared this with you guys before we started this uh, call, but, you know, I feel very fortunate to have been a part of something like this. Um, you know, it's, I, I, most of my life, I've, I kind of feel like I've walked under a lucky star, you know, to be in something where there's, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of movies are made every year that never do anything and they end up, you know, on the cutting room floors and, you know, and, you know, they never make it to DVD or anything else. And to be in this little movie and be in it for 90 seconds and, and have it be this big thing that's still running. I mean, I think somebody told me this is the longest running movie in history as yeah. far as not being out of the theaters, which, you know, blew my wow. mind. I mean, yeah. DiCaprio can't say that, right? Yeah. I got him. <laughs> so, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, just, it's just neat. Dan, I haven't run this question by Branson, but I, I'm going to shoot my shot here. I have and a feeling. I sent you something. I just sent you something in the comments section. Uh, I was wondering if you could do Branson and I this favor uh, and read this line for us. Just ben. with, the, yeah. Branson. Uh huh. Where's my f money? <laughs> Give me my f money! <laughs> I don't have it anymore. Oh Dan. my God, your Denny is better than your Tommy. Oh man, I've, <laughs> I've seen this movie so many times. I should really, I'll do a one man uh, production. Can I tell you, I Dan, don't have it anymore. You've stroken uh, Branson's ego so much today oh, that I know yeah. for the next week, all he's going to be doing is saying, <laughs> Chris R from the room, Dan, he told me my Tommy and my uh, other impressions are good. <laughs> Great. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, that's the first thing I'm going to tell my wife. <laughs> I love it. I love Dan, it. we are so honored that we get to have have you on the show. You've been an amazing guest, and we just really appreciate you reliving moments of the room with us. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for being on the show with us. It's been an honor. Yeah. You're you're fantastic. Thank you for being our first big guest. Well, my wife was our first guest, but you're our second one. <laughs> Absolutely. And by the way, if you don't mind, can I throw out a plug? Yeah. Yes. I've got an Etsy page. Check out the Etsy page. You've got like Chris R. memorabilia on there, which is kind of cheesy, but it's just awesome. fun to do. And uh, we'll actually, if you guys, I'll talk to you guys afterwards. I'll shoot you over some stuff. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you Thank so you, much. Thank you, man. Thanks, you guys. Awesome. You have a good one. Take care. You Dan. too. Once again, that was uh, Dan Janjigian. Um, ben and I are so thankful that he was able to take the time out of his day to talk to us. We had so much fun. Uh, the, ben, did, it was a great interview, right? The stories that he told, oh. the fact that he told them to us, I am so honored and thrilled that he decided to come on the show. Thank you to Dan. We really appreciate it. And uh, Branson, you have some plugs for Dan. Yes, I have some plugs on behalf of Dan. He, we didn't get a chance to share all of them because uh, I don't want to upgrade to Zoom Pro because that's expensive. Uh, so it cut us off before we could do that. Um, but you can find uh, Dan on Etsy at his page, the official Chris R, no spaces and each word capitalized. Uh, and he has some really awesome uh, prints and posters, uh, room memorabilia, Chris R themed memorabilia. Uh, he has a website, chris-r.org. That is chris-r.org. Yeah. So thank you again, Dan, uh, for joining us. It was yeah. it was a great privilege. Yes, we were so honored to have you, Dan. Thank you again. And with that, Branson, it's coming to the end of the show. But we have to, of course, do the great debate. And with this movie, there's so many. But oh uh, my goodness! Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Um, I feel like I always go first. I'll let you okay, go first. Okay, I'll go first. So, Branson, here is my question: What yes. is another movie you want to see in the style of the Disaster Artist, where they go behind the scenes of the filming? Oh, that is such a good question. Um, now this is this is uh really big is it are we talking about a serious movie or are we talking about a movie that's just generally crummy i would how i saw it in my head was it was a movie that you just want to see the behind the scenes so for instance in my head i picked a stanley kubrick like the shining which is notorious for its crazy onset stuff Ooh. and of course the shining's like a notoriously 
well-loved movie. So that's mm-hmm. how I interpret it. But you can interpret it however you want. Oh, um, any Hitchcock movie I feel like would be a really interesting one because, you know, I've heard that actually they mention it in the disaster artist movie. Yes. Excuse me. Um, director that... comes from dictator, which yes. I don't think it's true, but I, it Tommy is said not it's true. There's so it's no way true. that that's true. <laughs> um, but you know, there's a, uh, there's a part where they talk about um, Alfred Hitchcock and how he was kind of notorious for being uh, a little rude on set. Um, that would be really interesting. I would also love to get a behind the scenes on like another movie of this caliber of general terribleness, like something like Mac and me, Mm-hmm. Or that's just inept in storytelling and like a complete ripoff of E.T. Or uh, Manos, The Hands of Fate, which yet again is another so bad it's good movie. But it's like the microest of micro budgets. And, you know, one of the characters was high on LSD the yeah. entire shooting. And, you know, I'd uh, any one of those so bad it's good, like Crown Jewels. Yeah. You know what's <laughs> interesting? Much, you know what? Any movie that they t- have talked about on Mystery Science Theater 3000, <laughs> I would love to see a behind-the-scenes disaster artist-style um, movie about it. When you were speaking about bad movies, it actually made me change my answer from The Shining, and I'm changing mm-hmm. it to Battlefield Earth with John oh. Travolta, the Scientology oh. book turned into a movie. That's mine. I just oh, want to know would so be... much about that. Oh, that would be so interesting. Matt, now but that so, we mentioned Scientology, we're both going to get packets in the mail. Yeah, so we're screwed. But so, uh, Branson, how about you give me your question, and then we'll wrap this up. All right. Uh, stay away from us, Scientology. Yeah, please. We don't like you. Um, we love you. We're kidding. We love you. Stop. <laughs> They're actually going to send us stuff if Are you they? say that. Oh, no. Don't. Please don't. We don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. No. So, uh, The Room, one of my favorite things about The Room is that it has so many traditions among the uh, cult of Room fans. For instance, uh, the throwing of plastic spoons at the screen whenever a piece of art with a spoon in it shows up on screen. Um, Saying, oh, hi, to different characters. Um, Saying, I put my evil inside you whenever Lisa's mom touches Lisa's nose. Um, everyone running down to the corner of the screen and waving hi at Tommy as he waves at the lower corner of the screen. (laughs) What I want you to do, Ben, is invent for me a new tradition for this movie. Can I tell Uh, you? You could also call it a new drinking game task if you want to do that and if you're legal. Can I tell you my favorite scene, possibly my favorite scene in the movie, that goes so overlooked? It's the scene where he walks in to buy flowers and it's just so weirdly edited because their voices <laughs> seem out of sync. You're my favorite thoughts. Oh, hi. Good doggy. And he pets it. Hi, doggy. I want to. Uh, <laughs> I think there should be something. And I don't exactly know what the tradition uh, would be. But I think you should like when uh, everybody, when he says, you're my favorite customer. She says, you're my favorite customer. Everybody should say it like unanimously, like at the same time, like you're my favorite customer or however she says it. That's what I I, want because it's my favorite scene. I saw Empire Strikes Back at Hollywood Bowl. And one mm -hmm. of my favorite moments of that movie was everyone had like these fake lightsabers that they gave out at the entrance. And Mm -hmm. the scene where it's Luke, I am your father. Everyone like hits the lightsaber and everybody simultaneously yelled, no, that's impossible. <laughs> so I want something pretty similar to that. For oh, the that's that's pretty good. Oh, I feel like there is something similar to that. I for the flower scene, definite. I would add uh, if everyone has like a fake flower and just throws it oh, at the screen, good. similar to the spoons. Um, or maybe we all get flowers and we hand it to the p- person next to us because we all know uh, what's oh. the quote that the tommy makes if we all are nicer to each other the world would be a better place oh that's it that's the one we all get flowers and we exchange them and as we exchange them we tell the person you're my favorite customer and we all say it in unison so we're like a tommy wiseau hive mind i love it 
And guys, with uh, that, that is the room in the Disaster Artist. We hope you're having a great April Fool's Day. And next week, we are going to dive into the character of a similar madman. And uh, instead of one of us introducing or teasing next week's episode, we're going to let uh, Tommy Wiseau himself tease next week's episode. Tommy. Hi, this is Tommy Wiseau, creator of The Room. Let me introduce you to the new Joker. Ah!